Section 27 of The Golden Fleece and the Heroes Who Lived Before Achilles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mormis. The Golden Fleece and the Heroes Who Lived Before Achilles by Pedrite Cullum. Section 27. Book 3, Chapter 5. Admetus. It happened once that Zeus would punish Apollo his son. Then he banished him from Olympus, and he made him put off his divinity and appear as a mortal man. And as a mortal, Apollo sought to earn his bread amongst men. He came to the house of King Admetus and took service with him as his herdsman. For a year, Apollo served the young king, minding his herds of black cattle. Admetus did not know that it was one of the immortal gods who was in his house and in his fields but he treated him in friendly wise and apollo was happy whilst serving admetus afterward people wondered at admetus's ever smiling face and ever radiant being it was the gods kindly thought of him that gave him such happiness and when apollo was leaving his house and his fields he revealed himself to admetus and he made a promise to him that when the god of the underworld sent death for him he would have one more chance of baffling death than any mortal man that was before Admetus sailed on the Argo with Jason and the companions of the quest. The companionship of Admetus brought happiness to many on the voyage, but the hero to whom it gave the most happiness was Heracles. And often Heracles would have Admetus beside him to tell him about the radiant god Apollo, whose bow and arrows Heracles had been given. After that voyage, and after the hunt in Calydon, Admetus went back to his own land. There he wed that fair and loving woman, Alcestis. He might not wed her until he had yoked lions and leopards to the chariot that drew her. This was a feat that no hero had been able to accomplish. With Apollo's aid he accomplished it. Thereafter Admetus, having the love of Alcestis, was even more happy than he had been before. One day, as he walked by fold and through pasture field, he saw a figure standing beside his herd of black cattle. A radiant figure it was, and Admetus knew that this was Apollo come to him again. He went toward the god, and he made reverence and began to speak to him. But Apollo turned to Admetus a face that was without joy. What years of happiness have been mine, O Apollo, through your friendship for me, said Admetus. Ah, as I walked my pasture land today, it came into my mind how much I loved this green earth and the blue sky, and all that I know of love and happiness has come to me through you. But still, Apollo stood before him with a face that was without joy. He spoke, and his voice was not that clear and vibrant voice that he had once in speaking to Admetus. Admetus, Admetus, he said, it is for me to tell you that you may no more look on the blue sky nor walk upon the green earth. It is for me to tell you that the god of the underworld will have you come to him, Admetus. Admetus, know that even now the god of the underworld is sending death for you. Then the light of the world went out for Admetus, and he heard himself speaking to Apollo in a shaking voice, O Apollo, Apollo, thou art a god, and surely thou canst save me. Save me now from this death that the god of the underworld is sending for me. But Apollo said, Long ago, Admetus, I made a bargain with the god of the underworld on thy behalf. Thou hast been given a chance more than any mortal man. If one will go willingly in thy place with death, Thou canst still live on. Go, Admetus, thou art well loved, and it may be that thou wilt find one to take thy place. 
Then Apollo went up into the mountain top, and Admetus stayed for a while beside the cattle. It seemed to him that a little of the darkness had lifted from the world. He would go to his palace. There were aged men and women there, servants and slaves, and one of them would surely be willing to take the king's place and go with death down to the underworld. So Admetus thought as he went toward the palace, and then he came upon an ancient woman who sat upon stones in the courtyard, grinding corn between two stones. Long had she been doing that wearisome labor. Admetus had known her from the first time he had come into that courtyard as a little child, and he had never seen aught in her face but a heavy misery. There she was, sitting as he had first known her, with her eyes bleared and her knees shaking, and with the dust of the courtyard and the husks of the corn in her matted hair. He went to her and spoke to her, and he asked her to take the place of the king and go with death. But when she heard the name of death, horror came into the face of the ancient woman, and she cried out that she would not let death come near her. Then Admetus left her, and he came upon another, upon a sightless man, who held out a shriveled hand for the food that the servants of the palace might bestow upon him. Admetus took the man's shriveled hand, and he asked him if he would not take the king's place and go with death that was coming for him. The sightless man, with howls and shrieks, said he would not go. Then Admetus went into the palace and into the chamber where his bed was, and he lay down upon the bed, and he lamented that he would have to go with death that was coming for him from the god of the underworld, and he lamented that none of the wretched ones around the palace would take his place. A hand was laid upon him. He looked up, and he saw his tall and grave-eyed wife, Alcestis, beside him. Alcestis spoke to him slowly and gravely. I have heard what you have said, O oh my husband, said she. One should go in your place, for you are the keen and have many great affairs to attend to, and if none other will go, I, Alcestis, will go in your place, said Medus. It had seemed to Admetus that ever since he had ever heard the words of Apollo that heavy footsteps were coming toward him, now the footsteps seemed to stop. It was not so terrible for him as before. He sprang up, and he took the hands of Alcestis, and he said, You then will take my place? I will go with death in your place, Admetus, Alcestis said. Then, even as Admetus looked into her face, he saw a pallor come upon her. Her body weakened, and she sank down upon the bed. Then, watching over her, he knew that not he but Alcestis would go with death. And the words he had spoken he would have taken back, the words that had brought her consent to go with death in his place. Paler and weaker Alcestis grew. Death would soon be here for her. No, not here, for he would not have death come into the palace. He lifted Alcestis from the bed, and he carried her from the palace. He carried her to the temple of the gods. He laid her there upon the bier and waited there beside her. No more speech came from her. He went back to the palace where all was silent. The servants moved about with heads bowed, lamenting silently for their mistress. As Admetus was coming back from the temple, he heard a great shout. He looked up and saw one standing at the palace doorway. He knew him by his lion's skin and his great height. This was Heracles. Heracles come to visit him, but come at a sad hour. He could not now rejoice in the company of Heracles, and yet Heracles might be on his way from the accomplishment of some great labor, and it would not be right to say a word that might turn him away from his doorway. He might have much need of rest and refreshment. Thinking this, Admetus went up to Heracles and took his hand and welcomed him into his house. How is it with you, friend Admetus? Heracles asked. 
Admetus would only say that nothing was happening in his house, and that Heracles, his hero companion, was welcome there. His mind was upon a great sacrifice, he said, and so he would not be able to feast with him. The servants brought Heracles to the bath, and then showed him where a feast was laid for him, and as for Admetus, he went within the chamber and knelt beside the bed on which Alcestis had lain, and thought of his terrible loss. Heracles, after the bath, put on the brightly colored tunic that the servants of Admetus brought him. He put a wreath upon his head and sat down to the feast. It was a pity, he thought, that Admetus was not feasting with him. But this was only the first of many feasts, and thinking of what companionship he would have with Admetus, Heracles left the feasting hall and came to where the servants were standing about in silence. Why is the house of Admetus so hushed today? Heracles asked. It is because what is befalling, said one of the servants. Ah, the sacrifice that the king is making, said Heracles. To what god is that sacrifice due? To the god of the underworld, said the servant. Death is coming to Alcestis the queen, where she lies on a bier in the temple of the gods. Then the servant told Heracles the story of how Alcestis had taken her husband's place, going in his stead with death. Heracles thought upon the sorrow of his friend, and of the great sacrifice that his wife was making for him. How noble it was of Admetus to bring him into his house and give him entertainment to him, while such sorrow was upon him. And then Heracles felt that another labor was before him. I have dragged up from the underworld, he thought, the hound that guards those whom death brings down into the realm of the god of the underworld. Why should I not strive with death? and what a noble thing it would be to bring back this faithful woman to her house and to her husband. This is a labor that has not been laid upon me, and it is a labor that I will undertake. So Heracles said to himself. He left the palace of Admetus, and he went to the temple of the gods. He stood inside the temple, and he saw the bier on which Alcestis was laid. He looked upon the queen. Death had not touched her yet, although she lay so still and so silent. Heracles would watch beside her and strive with death for her. Heracles watched, and death came. When death entered the temple, Heracles laid his hands upon him. Death had never been gripped by mortal hands, and he strode on as if that grip meant nothing to him. But then he had to grip Heracles. In death's grip there was a strength beyond strength, and upon Heracles a dreadful sense of loss came as death laid hands upon him. A dreadful sense of loss came as death laid hands upon him, a sense of the loss of light and the loss of breath and the loss of movement. But Heracles struggled with death, although his breath went and his strength seemed to go from him. He held that stony body to him, and the cold of that body went through him, and its stoniness seemed to turn his bones to stone. But still Heracles strove with him, and at last he overthrew him, and he held death down upon the ground. Now you are held by me, death, cried Heracles. You are held by me, and the god of the underworld will be made angry, because you cannot go about his business, either this business or any other business. You are held by me, death, and you will not be let go unless you promise to go forth from this temple without bringing one with you. And death, knowing that Heracles could hold him there, and that the business of the god of the underworld would be left undone if he were held, promised that he would leave the temple without bringing one with him. Then Heracles took his grip off death, and that stony shape went from the temple. Soon a flush came into the face of Alcestis as Heracles watched over her. Soon she arose from the bier on which she had been laid. 
She called out to Admetus, and Heracles went to her and spoke to her, telling her that he would bring her back to her husband's house. Admetus left the chamber where his wife had lain and stood before the door of his palace. Dawn was coming, and as he looked toward the temple, he saw Heracles coming to the palace. A woman came with him. She was veiled, and Admetus could not see her features. Admetus, Heracles said when he came before him, Admetus, there is something I would have you do for me. Here is a woman whom I am bringing back to her husband. I won her from an enemy. Will you not take her into your house while I am away on a journey? You cannot ask me to do this, Heracles, said Admetus. No woman may come into the house where Alcestis only yesterday had her life. For my sake, take her into your house, said Heracles. Come now, Admetus, take this woman by the hand. A pain came to Admetus as he looked at the woman who stood beside Heracles and saw that she was the same stature as his lost wife. He thought that he could not bear to take her hand, but Heracles pleaded with him and he took her by the hand. Now take her across your threshold, Admetus, said Heracles. Hardly could Admetus bear to do this. Hardly could he bear to think of a strange woman being in his house and his own wife gone with death. But Heracles pleaded with him, and by the hand he drew the woman across his threshold. Now raise her veil, Admetus, said Heracles. This I cannot do, said Admetus. I have had pains enough. How can I look upon a woman's face and remind myself that I cannot look upon Alcestis's face ever again? Raise her veil, Admetus, said Heracles. Then Admetus raised the veil of the woman he had taken across the threshold of his house. He saw the face of Alcestis. He looked again upon his wife, brought back from the grip of death by Heracles, the son of Zeus, and then a deeper joy than he had ever known came to Admetus. Once more his wife was with him, and Admetus, the friend of Apollo and the friend of Heracles, had all that he cared to have. End of section 27